everyone. So we're here with uh, Dort. Uh, he's a former USF uh, as a sport management student and now an alumni, of course, some time ago since he started the were part of the program. But first of all, Dort, thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. I'm glad, glad to be here. Awesome. And I think we're just going to dive right into the questions. So for as you know, a lot of our readers and viewers, they're kind of like young and, and, and trying to find their career path. And I think a lot of the key questions that we want to highlight is if you can share a little bit about your academic and professional experience with us to, so they can get a little bit more insight about who are you, where are you at, and what have you done? Absolutely, absolutely. So I, um, I knew I wanted to work in sports from my undergraduate experience. So I went to UC Santa Cruz, which was a Division three school, and um, very underfunded at the time. And so I got to as much time as I was willing to put in. Um, yeah. I could, you know, I was, it was like the athletic director and me pretty much. And I became the recruiting coordinator. I became the sports information director and I became um, the assistant women's basketball coach. So like as much as I was willing to put in, like they were, they were giving me opportunities and I was working as a full-time right. student, like 60 hours a week. And so I think that, that, just and not because I needed to, but because I wanted to, and I think that just speaks to, um, you know, taking advantage taking advantage of the opportunities in front of you. So sure. even though this um, athletic department didn't have a lot of money, like I made myself so sort of um, indispensable that they found enough money to hire me um, to a full time role. Um, right. Then. Uh, the year after I graduated and it was I joke about it but it was like the best job I ever had but it could have been because I was working like 70 to 80 hours a week <laughs> and I was making like 100 and, no, I was making $13,000 for the entire year so like <laughs> I don't even want to figure out like what the per hour rate was but I didn't right. care um, and yeah. I probably liked it more from, from like a heuristic standpoint because I was yeah. working so much like I had to explain to myself why I was doing this so I was like I must love it so much um, <laughs> but anyway from there um, the athletic director had connections at Stanford Athletics because he worked with those um, athletic directors at um, the World Cup um, in 94 and the, the Olympics in 96 and so he hooked me up there went to go work at Stanford Athletics in the operations department right. and um you know, putting on events, setting up events, taking down events. Again, crazy hours, lots of hours. Um, and uh, from there, um, when I was there, I, I noticed a position opened up for like um, uh, managing editor slash sort of web architect um, right. role for their gostanford.com website. Um, yeah. And I, you know, no, I was doing like operations role, like setting up bleachers and barricades and all that kind of stuff right. like really, like physical work at events and no yeah. one knew that like I did the website at my previous at, at UC Santa Cruz and <laughs> these technical no one just knew because I was doing other things and so right. I applied and they were like oh we didn't know you knew I ended up getting hired um, and so that was great I was did that for um, three years um, and then um, then they actually so I worked with a company called CSTV, which later was bought by CBS Interactive. They basically, right. they did websites for athletic departments. So they were our vendor. And so at oh. some point, at some point, Stanford decided, you know what, we have a person dedicated to the role here, but right. we don't have to. And so they actually laid my, they eliminated my role. Right. Uh, 
that they felt bad. So I, for the next 10 months, I actually worked on a different project with them. And that was right. the sports law conference. So oh, nice. with um, Jamie Zaninovich, um, who is the, um, yeah. um, who is the um, assistant athletic director at the time. And he partnered with the law school. So we did a sports law conference right. at yeah. like, you know, the best and the, the biggest names in the, in the industry come to that. And that was a success. And then after that, I went traveling because that, that was like a project role. Yeah. I went back to South Africa for six months. And then I came back and started looking for a job in sports. And right. um, you know, even though I'd had this, these great experiences, I actually did have a hard time um, finding a role. And I spent a while hmm. applying and it wasn't, um, it didn't go super smoothly as smoothly as right. I wanted. Um, I, it was ironic because like I was, you know, probably it was like a six to seven month process of like applying yeah. for jobs, interviewing. And the irony is that, you know, I didn't get many offers. I didn't get any offers. And then at the very end, I got literally got two offers within an hour of each other. So it was no. really, <laughs> a weird you know, thing. It was like for set, six, seven months, I don't get any offers. And then I get two offers right. within an hour. Um, it's usually how it happens, right? <laughs> so the universe is very strange. And so the two offers were very different. One was to go work for CSTV. So I'd been yeah. on the client side and now because um, they knew me from that experience, um, we had a good relationship, they were going to hire me and I was going to go work in San Diego and Carlsbad at their headquarters. Right. That was option one. And then option two was to go work at Clemson University in South Carolina. Um, right as um, in their sort of compliance office. Um, yes, I'd gone there for an interview, and so that was South Carolina and Clemson, very different experience in California, <laughs> conservative state. It was, it was very, uh, it was a hard decision, but I ended up taking the um, US, um, the CSTV uh, job in San Diego, yeah. and did that for a couple of years. Um, and then, um, then I got recruited, um, to go work the Winter Olympics at oh, nice. um, Yahoo Sports. So this is right. 2006. And the crazy thing about this, this part of the story is that I literally, they found me on monster.com. Um, the reason they found me is like, there was some promotion that they sent me in the email saying like, update your resume for a chance to win a million dollars. I literally, like the only reason that like, wow. <laughs> so it's one of those really weird stories. Um, <laughs> and what made it even stranger was that, so they called me, they wanted to set up an interview and yeah. I was visiting a friend in New York and um, unlike me, but very unprofessional, I just forgot about the interview. And yeah. so all of a sudden they call me, I'm literally on the city, on the city streets of New York. Um, right. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to do this interview yeah. with my friend who she was very understanding. But I <laughs> like jumped into a store and it happened to be like a Ben and Jerry's store right, right, right. Like, in the corner trying to like cup because they had like weird, strange, like ice cream parlor music going on. <laughs> have this conversation, have this interview in the store. I'm kind of like trying to, you know. Be, be as composed as possible <laughs> it was and it went on for like 40 minutes so i was like okay and i literally thought if i get this job like there's no way i'm getting this job it was such <laughs> a experience but i did get the job um and that was great um and so then i moved from um we can see cv to yahoo sports when you went to olympics and then right after that they needed sports producers for the front page of yahoo.com right uh, 
And so I did that and that turned into a full-time role and I was in there for six years. Nice. Uh, and that was, that was a great experience, but it was, you know, I got promoted once, but I felt very sort of stuck because everyone, no one was leaving. They weren't like, they weren't like growth opportunities. So I felt pretty stuck. And that's when I um, got recruited to go work at Bleach Report right. as director of distribution and programming. And then from there, I was there five years and each year after that, um, I got more responsibilities, analytics, quality control, and then eventually they groomed me to become the the GM slash CEO. And so nice. I was in that role for two years um, until the one of the founders said he wanted to come back. So that made sense for me to leave at that point. Um, right. so that was sort of like the the um, extent of my sort of sports media career. When I left Leach Report because I was still under contract, I couldn't work in sports. Like there was hmm. a non like a non compete. That was kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. that was frustrating. Um, but I couldn't work in sports, and so that meant um, so I worked went to work at um, Fandom.com, which right. used to be called Wikia, um, and this was an entertainment site. So TV, movies, mm. video games, right. comics, books, huge community right. site. It's like the um, it's the commercial. So that was that experience. Um, did that for two years, then we were acquired, um, and then um, went to um, work at Gardner in Austin, Texas. Um, that's right. a B2B company. But all this time, I was also doing like I was advising startups like Mars Real and Uninterrupted yeah. and all these other sort of sports startups I was sort of advising um, on the side just because I really enjoy mentoring startups. Um, but yeah, that's that. That was kind of my. That's been my career path. <laughs> Back in Houston, I'm actually probably in the same roles. Some of the people watching this video right now, like I am in the sort of looking for my next role, um, sort of um, phase. So I'm doing a right. bunch of interviews, um, reaching out to a bunch of people, and so um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I am right now. No, but it's a it's a really fascinating story, and, and you talk a lot about like how things, you know, changes so fast and rapidly. And I think uh, there's a lot of you know depth and knowledge for like the young audience to like take from here. First of all, I think it's like like you need the passion, you know, for for the industry for sure. Talking about like the early days and like just you know being willing to put down the hours, and you know you don't really think about it because you, you know you just follow your passion and you have a lot of fun but also taking advantage of, of that opportunity, for sure. Uh, and we didn't talk that much about it, but obviously, you know, you're a USF sport management alumni. So can you talk a little bit about that experience and how the program elevated your professional career? Totally. Now, this is a super interesting um, part as well, because I was, I was working at um, Stanford Athletics. Um, right when I was going to the USF program. So, you know, every Tuesday I would um, yeah. <laughs> drive there for the four hour class um, yeah. from Palo Alto. Um, and it was, um, it was a great experience. It was, there was some hard things about it because I had a full-time role, which I was super happy right. about. I, I right. couldn't do the internships the way like some people could. So there wasn't yeah. like sort of opportunity to explore other areas as much. Um, right. But I was super happy to have a full-time role and a full-time staff yeah, for sure. and benefits. Um, so there was that aspect. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, the program, because it's 
a master's program because it's a private school. It's not an inexpensive program, right? It's right. it's pretty expensive. Um, yeah. And um, you, you're always thinking, like, is this worth it? Am I going to, like, is it going to pay for itself? Is it... And the honest truth right. is, like, I really believe it has, but I couldn't measure it, right? Like, right, right. like, every job I apply for now and have applied through through my career, like, I have a master's degree, and that puts me in front of a lot of other people who don't. Right. And it's hard sure. to really know that. But I think what it tells people is that this person is, you know, if you have a master's degree, you're a serious, you've taken that next level, and you're really serious about, and you've put in that commitment. Um, right. And so I think it's just, it puts you in front, you know, it either puts you in front of the line or if there's two candidates that are equal, it may give you a bump. So yeah. it's super hard to measure because no one says like, oh, um, no one tells you that your degree was important part of it. Right. But, um, but right. you kind of, so it takes you a while to figure out, I think this really has helped. Right. Um, but um, but you kind of have to just kind of trust it because there's no like direct like yeah. back. No, but uh, no, I think that's a really valid point. And for me, obviously, uh, you know, in my experience, I, I think what I enjoyed the most about the program itself was uh, just kind of like what you talked about as well is that you had a full time job on the side, right? Of course, you did, didn't have the chance to explore as much because of it. But at least you had the opportunity to, you know, have that, you know, full-time job or or exploring different opportunities while doing the program, which I think was a huge advantage because in a lot of other places you have to, you know, be on the school bench every day and you might not have the same opportunities to explore uh, on on the side as as much as you would like. So I think for me personally, I think that was like one of the reasons why I chose chose the program and was a huge learning experience uh, for for me at least. And I think that's. Um, you know, a huge, huge benchmark to talk about like the experience side of the, of like getting that your foot in, essentially. Totally. And there's one other part that I forgot to talk about. And I was like, you know, throughout the program, I wasn't sure like what my end project was going to be. Um, right. I really got lucky because I literally had this like light bulb moment. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. this is exactly what I want to do. And like, I was super excited about it. Um, and it literally was like, oh my God, I want to do that. And what I did was there was this, um, because at this point I was still at Stanford Athletics, I thought I still want to be an athletic director. Um, yeah, yeah. Roles within um, athletic departments called SWA, Senior Women Administrators, right. um, and they were created um, to make sure women sports had is well represented. It was also created to make sure you had being women in athletic departments. And so what I wanted to explore um, was like the creation of these SWA roles. Was this giving women an opportunity to become athletic directors or was right. it sort of like, did it create like a sort of a glass ceiling? Like they were going to put yeah. in these roles and then that's kind of as high as they could go. And so, so I had this idea, I had this like thesis question. And the great thing was I was at Stanford Athletics where like they win the Sears Cup every year. Like they're yeah. one of the most sort of renowned athletic departments. And I got... Um, Debbie Gorman, who was the SWA at Stanford, and right. Ted Eland, who was the athletic director at Stanford, I got them each to send out a survey to their other people within the athletic nice. and all the NCAA. So we sent yeah. it to like literally like 2000 ADs and 2000 SWAs. Wow. <laughs> came, it came from their email. And so we got something like an insane like 70% like completion rate on the survey. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, so just it, 
And so it was super, the data was super interesting. Um, and then I actually got to present it um, to um, like the SWA national conference. So I right. went there and presented to these, like all these women and stuff. So it was wow. super interesting. <laughs> I definitely used, you know, that's still on my resume today that yeah, my, for sure. um, my paper was published. It was, I presented at this conference. And so definitely something I'm super proud of. Um, and that yeah. definitely came out of the program, obviously. No, for sure. And I think that's a really valid point. And uh, again, like thinking about like Sporting Global came, came out of that too. So just oh. as a bright idea. And, uh, and, and here we are, right? So exactly. there's, a, there's a lot of stuff. And I think uh, I, always, I always try to say to people that uh, I also had a very like strict like, okay, I'm going to like be this and like this is what I'm aiming for. But you got to kind of like have your, your mindset open too, because you never know where, where your path is going to lead you. And I think you always got to uh, even if you somehow know like where you want to go, like just be have that openness, you know, to like new opportunities, new new elements of what what might could happen, you know, because you don't know where your passion or, or where you might you know go for, from from that point. Um, I think one 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 element I wanted to touch upon, and obviously um, kind of like gonna merge these questions a little bit together, but you have obviously had like a little bit. What, like vast experience from you know fandom bleacher report uh, what are kind of the lessons you learned about the digital arena in the sport entertainment industry and what do you see as the future trends in the media space wow um yeah that's a pretty that's a big one um you know at at bleacher report um it was started by four people not in the media industry so, right. so because of that they did things differently. They didn't, um, it was much more data-driven. There wasn't like a managing editor that was saying, we need to do all these stories. It was like, well, what do users want? And so I think the things I learned um, by having both traditional media experience and then having this experience that was sort of like um, a disruptive experience, right? Like Bleacher right. was a disruptor in that space. Um, yeah. Just kind of made you realize that like, um, the power of um, kind of thinking about things differently and like yeah. going against um, kind of the grain of what everyone's doing. Like one example was, you know, in 2010, um, you know, we were linking out to other publishers because we had a curated stream experience, right? So right. if you were a um, Liverpool fan, you would get all the best stories in Liverpool. A lot of them we wouldn't only about a third of them were Bleach Report stories, but we linked right. to other people. And at the time, it was like, people didn't understand why we'd be sending people away. Like, yeah. It just kind of blew people's mind, like, why would, like, what are you getting out of it? And for us, we were building trust with users, and we, right. we wanted to be the starting point of sports, the Google for sports. And so yeah. if someone having to go to five publications, they could just come to the Bleach Report app, and then they would find everything they needed there. So I right. think, being open to doing things differently. Um, you know, I was actually just speaking to they looking for. Are they looking for someone who's been like professional teams their whole career and have kind of come up that route? And right. they, she's actually like, she's like, we went that route in the beginning, but we weren't finding people who were like thinking differently enough. And so we've actually right. now started to look at people who are not coming from sports or sports fans, but they've come from other industries where they kind of see marketing and they see how to pr 
promote sports in a different way. So right. it's sort of interesting. It's sometimes if you want to get to a certain destination, it's not always a straight line to that. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes it's like actually valuable to go in a different direction because that gives you experiences that give you an edge versus people who have like just gone like been promoted up through professional sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes makes a lot of sense. So what do you what do you see as the future trends though in in the media space of the sport industry? Where where will like companies like Bleacher Report and and other media sport media like companies go from here? Yeah, no, I think so we're all competing against each other and I don't just mean other media companies. I mean like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, right. you know, Apple TV Plus, Disney Plus, like Ultimately, I think what people realize is that you're not competing against people in your vertical. Vertical, you're competing right. for attention span, um, and people only have a certain number of time um, time in the day. They only are going to spend so much uh, money on services, um, subscription right. services, and so I think what people realize is you're competing against everyone. I think right. that's that's the big thing. And like, how are you differentiated from? What do you what what are you going to offer that's a must buy um, versus right. everyone else? And so when you think about the media landscape right now, you know I think Bleach Report is probably kind of the most um, they've cornered the market. I think well they're best in breed for like so like being on social like they have House of Highlights, they have insane right. engagement on all their social platforms. Yeah. Um, I would say like the Athletic has done a great job of like you know. For that, people who work like long form sports journalism at the yep. team level, like they've 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 figured that out. Hopefully, like right. the business model works long term. Um, yeah. um, that's what they figured out. Um, ironically, like Bleachboard and ESPN both try to do that team thing, and they just yeah. they couldn't kind of crack the code hmm, uh, on it. But but the Athletic has kind of figured out um, that, and they figured it out by just you know, hiring celebrity talent, right? Like people right. have to follow. Um, and then, you know, I would put NBC Sports in that sort of like, you know, they have the Olympics and they have like these big yeah. events that like people yeah. care about, but they are, and they have soccer, but they are um, sort of more that sort of mainstream big events. Right. Uh, but like, I don't have a good sense of like Fox Sports or... Um, or CBS Sports, like how they differentiate yeah, yeah. themselves. Um, yeah. ESPN, I think people still probably go to them the most for just like, um, uh, like they have the, probably the best stats and like right. box scores. Right. And, you know, they have a lot of clips from TV. So it's trying to figure out like what, what are you going to be great at? Um, right. And the, where's the sort of white space in the market? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think also like we're, uh, you know, not only in, in sports media or, or in that sense, I, I think you will see more and more niche specific, you know, again, alignments and companies that are focusing on their niche, right? And and I think uh, a lot of the reason for that is actually you talked a lot about uh, time span, right? And people's attention level and, and there's so much going on. So people want to, you know, use their time on what they think is interesting for for them and what they enjoy and like and i think you will see a lot of those um changes of course in in the next um next few years of like how you tailor made uh tailor make even even more specific so 
the content or 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 yeah the specific content that you see is is more and more relevant for you you know because there's so much out there totally I think, like, like i have a question for you like how many apps do you use on like on a weekly or monthly basis do like <laughs> yeah like probably like max 10 or something <laughs> it's interesting yeah because i probably like if i go through and like close all my apps i'm probably at like over a hundred right. and so um I think, and this is maybe just like my own personal bias because of my user experience, that like people yeah. don't necessarily want everything in one app, right? Like they right. want, they, they like the idea of getting variety. They like the idea of bouncing yeah. around. And so yeah. it goes to what you were talking about, the niche. Like be, I think it's far better to be great at one thing than to be like yeah. at a lot of things. And right. so figuring out what the company's niche and what they're going to be known for. Right. Um, but that's same for people. Like, what are you going to be an expert at? Um, right. Because if you're just like a jack of all trades, master of none, like <laughs> that is a harder career. Yeah. It's harder to stand out um, that way. No, for sure. And I think that leads me to my next question. And that is what type of skill set uh, would you need if you want to be a sports media expert in the next few years? Um. I think you have to be a consumer of it. Like, I mean, that seems like an obvious thing, but like, yeah. you can, you have to be a user and you have to be able to empathize with the user. And it's a lot easier right. to empathize with the user when you, when you can be like, well, this is what I would like. Um, right. I, can't, I can't remember where I saw this quote yesterday or the day before. Um, it's probably on LinkedIn, but it was basically, I'm, I'll kind of mess up the quote, but it basically was saying like, um, you shouldn't try and create content and experiences for a user. You should create right. those things, things that you like. And right. that naturally, like your opinion is not unique. And so if you create things that you like, yeah. other people will like it too. Um, right. It's just trying to create something for someone out there that it's like, right. um, so I think it's about making things personal, like create things you like and other people will like it as well versus trying to create yeah. something for someone else. So there's that authenticity, the yep. empathy, um, and then I think also just for, at like an internal level, um, you have to be able to like be a people person because yeah. if you're going to be an executive, you're going to have you know you're you're going to have a lot of people to oversee, and you have to be able to have empathy for the people you're managing and be partnering right. with them. Um, and the other thing is, it's such a small world. Like yeah. literally, there have been cases, two cases in my career where I reported to someone like else, they were my boss. And then in the later, another job, I was their boss. So, <laughs> so you, just, you just have to treat people the way you want to be treated because you never right. know, like you may be in a power dynamic over someone. Right. You never know, like that person may be your boss at a later point. And so you just, right. just treating people the way you would want to be treated. It's, it Perfect. sounds simple, but it's like those things are super valuable. Yeah, and no, I, I think, you know, again, it goes back to uh, understanding your market, uh, understanding your, your skill set, and, and again, bring, bring value wherever you can in a, in a very specific way. But of course, also, you know, treating people as you would be treated yourself. I think that's a very key lesson, and I think it ta talks a lot about um, people's personality, right, and people's values, what they believe in. And I think one of the key things we'll see uh, moving forward as well in recruitment is how are you how are you finding people that align with your company values and what you believe in? Uh, because it's not just about your background, right? It's about 
finding the, the person that are most suitable for that company and what they are looking for, not only from a skills perspective, but from values, personality, and, and where they can bring, you know, the most value. Totally. Absolutely. So, um, we, we, I think we've talked a lot about different kind of things here and, and I wanted to like wrap it up, uh, with, um, just diving into a little bit of what tips do you have for students, you know, kind of like the, the young professional, maybe like an undergrad student, maybe a graduate student that are, you know, barely scratching their, their surface yet and, you know, trying to get their foot in the door. You know, it's a very competitive industry. There's a lot of people passionate about it and want to be part of it. Uh, if you can like wrap up like a couple few tips of like, how are they going to get their foot in the door? I think that would be mostly appreciated. Totally. Yeah, and I, mean, I think the um, you have to be willing to work harder than everyone else, or at least have that mindset, right? Like, yeah. you're willing to do anything. Like, the idea of, like, failure is not an option. Like, you will, right. like, you are relentless. Um, yeah. And then, so you have to have that work ethic. I think you have to have a curiosity. Like, you have to to be super interested in how things work and ask people questions and always, you know, whatever job you're in, even if it feels like a very entry level, kind of low level grunt work job, right. like you can learn so much from all the people around. For sure. People called red coats who are like basically our ushers and they were right. basically retired people who like going to sporting events and wanted to be around people. And like these people had like had full careers and like talking to them and like picking their brain on things. Like, yeah. Like, and they love to talk about it because they're like older people, retired. <laughs> like they they're getting a sense of like value from sharing their wisdom. But yeah. I would say like relentless um, work ethic, a curiosity about life and everything and people right and then just like taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves like the universe sure. is going to present um opportunities to you and i think you know i was in a position i kind of said yes just i said yes to life yes to everything right that came, like that came in front of me um which is both good and bad because sometimes you get off right. track right like i'm not yes. an athletic director some at some point i realized like actually maybe that wasn't for me but yeah. so kind of took myself off that path. And so figuring out which things to say yes to and which things yeah. to say no to is right. a skill set. One that I'm not super good at. I said yes to pretty much like every opportunity <laughs> that came in front of me because that was like my motto. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes to life. But, um, but it also got me to some super interesting jobs and opportunities. So um, those are the kind of the three things I would say, like relentless work ethic, a curiosity, yeah. and just being open and yet saying yes to the world. I, I think it's really good advice, and I think uh, you know it, it is really key, you know, for for the younger people here, especially in in the competitive landscape that we're in, is that um, you know it's a very attractive industry, and I think the passion has to be there, and you have to be willing to put down the work, and of course you know, be open for the opportunities that are there because you, again, you never know where it's going to lead you. And I think, uh, you know, both of us, of course, you have way more experience than me, but, but it, I always talk about like, I, I never thought myself starting a company, right. I always had like my, my plan, but I, at the same time, when the opportunity came up and like the idea came to life, I said like, you know, why not go for it and try, and then we'll see, at least I will learn from it. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. And 
I think I think that's a very key lesson is that for sure what you're talking about like hard work commitment and and be open for sure so uh, with that, I think we're just gonna, you know, wrap up. It's been a, it's been a long and good talk with a lot of interesting topics, and I think, and I, I truly believe, believe that our audience will uh, appreciate it. So with that, uh, Dort, I would like to thank you for the time, and we always finish with Vismakis, <laughs> which means see you later in Norwegian. <laughs> see you later. That was great. I love it. Well, have a good one. It was great chatting with you.